I'm Cole. I'm Vanessa. Hi. Welcome to Pop My Culture live at SF Sketchfest. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming out on a Sunday afternoon. Yes, this what a delight. Really cool. Um, we have a really good guest, so you had a good excuse. We do. This guy's amazing. Uh, just, just so we know, uh, anybody heard our show before? Oh, okay. All right. Good. That's okay. good. I hear That's one. Good. That's good. I appreciate that. And we're gonna do the whole thing standing. That's up. right. I don't want to do that anymore. There it is. And we're down. Oh, just got a little dip to it. Nice. Um, I have to say, it's only like the second time I've heard my pre-recorded turn your cell phones off announcement. It's a little creepy. Yeah. (laughs) I was standing by him, and he was throwing his voice into the auditorium. (laughs) It was nice. Uh, Well, let's let's get to our guest. Let's do it. Why not? And by the way, guys, this is episode, I think this will be episode 198. So we're nearing 200. We've been doing this for almost six years now. Oh, my God. And, you know, there was a time, like a month or two ago, we were talking about calling it quits, and this was going to be our last episode, our, like, live from Sketchfest, but happy to say we're going to continue it. Whee! And, uh, yeah, it's fun, and uh, we just got busy. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard when you're busy. Um, but let's get to our guest. This guy is amazing. He, and on a personal note from SF Sketchfest, he means so much to us because uh, this is year 15, and year two... Uh, he took a chance on coming up here with his Hollywood players uh, and went with his lovely wife, Mary, who's over there in the audience. Hi, Mary. Um, they came and they did a show along with our Price Citizens Brigade also that year and really helped us to build the momentum of this. And now we're here 15 years later. So uh, he is a legend in comedy. You know him from all of those Christopher Guest comedies, uh, Fernwood Tonight, so many more things. Without further ado, Fred Willard, everyone. Woo! No rain today. Yeah. And that's it. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. You get a that's comedy legend report. here, you talk about the weather. That's... Actually, since we have you, we have to ask, have you seen Star Wars? <laughs> yes, I, yes, I did. Now, I wasn't going to. I'm not really a Star Wars fan. I saw the first one, and I saw all the build-up and the build-up, and then I got invited to a, a, a screening, and my wife couldn't go, so I took my grandson, who's a huge fan, oh. And it, it was a spectacular event. Uh, I, I'm just knocked over by how wonderful it is. I didn't follow all the little ins and outs and the intricacies and all, but uh, it, it's an amazing movie. It's and it, it amazes me how there's tie-ins with car commercials now. Oh, and yeah. food commercials. <laughs> who's, tie, who's doing the tying in? Is a hamburger company say, look, can we use your logo to, to Star Wars say... Well, yeah, yeah I, I got to admit it was a little distracting when Han Solo showed up in a Kia Sorenta. I didn't <laughs> yeah. see that going well. but Yeah, and who are they marketing for in those moments? Because are they planting the seed for the like 10-year-old fans? Because those are the super fans. So are mm. they thinking in you know 10 years this is all going to pay off with the Kias? I guess. Or is there an immediate payoff? Anyone? <laughs> I've been really thinking about this. <laughs> it is like... When you become aware of product placement, um, the first thing I can remember being really aware of it in was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, the first one. Oh, yeah. Because Domino's was a big sponsor of that because <laughs> they love their pizza. And there's a scene where they order a pizza and they're in the sewers. And he's like, where are you? And they, I'm down here, dude. And they put the Domino's pizza box very slowly <laughs> through the grate with the product placement up. And I remember that's the first time. And I was like, I don't know, 14 or something that came out. And I was like, oh, I see what they did there. <laughs> I should buy that. Right. And they immediately ordered a Domino's pizza. Mm, everything's so worked. working. The reason I asked about Star Wars is it's now become the biggest, highest grossing domestic film of all time at $758.2 million, uh, passing Avatar. That movie with blue people that have USB cords in their hair. They're moving on to a billion, and I wonder if they keep track of the T-shirt sales. (laughs) If they have some guy auditing, shorted $12. (laughs) That is funny. The merch guy for Star Wars. When you go to those things and you see everybody wearing the same four Target Star Wars T-shirts. Yeah. (laughs) That were $9.99. well, let's. Uh, yesterday we oh had. Oh my gosh, what a thrill! Yeah. The Guffman reunion. 
at the Castro. It was so great. This, there was a screening and a Q&A. Yeah, it was amazing. Is anybody there from... Is here? Uh, it was amazing. It's been 20 years since Guppman has come out, which is hard to believe. Yeah. And uh, we did a reunion with Fred and uh, a lot of the cast, Christopher Guest, Bob Alaman, Parker Posey. And it was amazing to see it once again on the big screen and see how it, it's so great it still is. It is a well-constructed movie. The music uh, is uh, really wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and it was his first, Christopher's first movie to, to direct. And it's the one uh, that I've seen the, the fewest times. So I hadn't seen it in several years, and I, I watched it and said, this is a good movie. There's a plot. Is the play going to get done? Yeah. And Christopher has <laughs> to fill in for the lead. It could be a, a good dramatic movie, you know, the plot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The leading man doesn't show up, and the director has to take over. And, um, and I, I was thinking last night that for the people who have seen the movie, they're waiting for a man named Guffman to come that may take the show to Broadway. And the man, man comes and sits in the seat, and it turns out he's just a car salesman or something. Right. And that could relate to any business. You don't have to be an amateur theatrical to know the disappointments. Everyone's had yeah. a disappointment yeah. like that in life. Oh, you mean you did that? Oh, no, I'm sorry. We changed our mind or something fell through. Whose life? I, I, I've been told by people, I don't know how I could be an actor. What do you do when you're not working? Um, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, and then a year later, you find out their, their bank closed or they got fired. What business is there that there are not disappointments, crashing yeah. disappointments? Yeah. The one thing, like that movie nails, I mean, I came out of community theater and that <laughs> just nails the types so much. I, though I will say the orchestra is maybe a little too good. But oh, they're so good. They're so good. And the man with the um, horn and the drums. I know. And the I know they're really what good. What a guy! But I this... see, that was I think that was C.J. Vanston who wrote a lot of the songs. Ah. And yet that added something. It showed that it, we weren't just. It wasn't a burlesque, you know. Yeah. That everyone, yeah. everyone was playing off key. Everyone did it, and it was touching. The, the music was so good, and the audience. You see, they were swept up in it. Right. They weren't giggling at it. They were just. They loved it. It was their their town. So I have to ask, like, Ron and Sheila, um, those <laughs> characters, like, I feel like if anybody here came out of community theater, you know that there's that couple that oh. have been at that theater forever that are lifers that are in every production and are often miscast, but because they're <laughs> the, kind of the best people in that area. So where did that character come from for you, for Ron? Uh, I, I, when I first went to New York, I went to a place called Showcase Theater. It was a man and a woman who had... They on the Upper West Side, they actually built a little stage in their living room, and they put <laughs> on um, plays. But I chose to go there because most of the theaters I went to, to go to acting schools, they had sense memory, they had this. I said, do you ever do shows? Oh, no, 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 we don't do shows. But these people, every 10 weeks they did a show, and the theater was called Showcase Theater. They said, and we invite professionals <laughs> to the shows, and we allow you, when the professionals come and do a showcase, that you will be able to work with the professionals, which meant we would meet them at the door and hang up their hats and coats. <laughs> uh, now, the professionals who came were very nice, but the couple were uh, pretty tough to take, and uh, I, I could never figure out what they had ever done professionally. Uh, but the good thing, what I got out of it was just being on stage, uh, doing, this, doing the scene uh, at the time, it was to do um, Tennessee Williams scenes. That was a big thing. And you'd, you'd actually memorize lines and do it, and you'd get the feedback from the audience, and you could kind of tell if you were doing a good job or not. And that's the best way to learn. Nice. I, I think one of my favorite, I mean, definitely the thing that hit me the hardest that Ron says is at the auditions when he's like, you mean strike it Ugh. with the stool? Yeah. Like that, I'm assuming that was an Just to let everyone know that he was on the inside. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not much he was training on the required. Inside, yeah. but they were coming down. You know, we'll go through the going motions. through the motions and going through the audition, but knowing that they're going to get cast. And then, what about the costuming process? Because I know you kind of come up with, with your characters a little in tandem. Like he gives you who you basically are, and then you you can elaborate. But the costumes for Ron and Sheila are so perfect. Well, I remember telling the wardrobe people. I, I said, I, I picture him. He's the type of guy who'd wear a blue blazer with a little scarf, like a yachting <laughs> yeah. jacket, and they, that's what they, they gave me. And, and the, to come in for the audition, uh, a really nice uh, jogging Jackson. outfit. Yeah. 
Because you got to be ready to move. I had a towel around my neck. I should have had a towel around my neck. <laughs> <laughs> Coming in for a workout. Not really auditioning, but just yeah. another workout. Brushing it up. <laughs> so as far as, as doing those films, which are primarily improvised, does Chris just give you, like, an outline for a scene, like like points you need to hit and, that, and just let you guys go? Yes, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Particularly in those earlier movies, it was... Uh, just here's, you know, the whole plot of the movie. You know, which scene you're doing, what's happening in the scene, and you just start talking. Well, uh, when you say you know the whole plot of the movie, I know for Guffman there were so many hours of footage. So were there several plots it could have taken, or was the overarching plot always the same? Well, there was some plot they, they tried to kind of get in there about someone coming down from outer space. I remember that it was a little more important... Uh, <laughs> In the first, the first thing, and they, I think maybe someone realized that was a little. Uh, they backpedaled that a bit. They did have <laughs> one funny scene, but the main thing was putting on the show, yeah, and getting the word that maybe you know the, the, the producer from New York we'd be thrilled to send, which is a, would never happen in the first place. No, <laughs> but that it just brought up their hopes. As again. In all our lives, we have hopes. You know, someone saw you. I have a friend who could... Uh, seems to me years ago, someone was very excited because they were getting the script to some actress's makeup lady. Oh. Their make, her makeup lady is going to read the script. Um, <laughs> well, the sincerity in the movie. I mean, rewatching it last night, I'd never gotten to see it in the theater. I'd seen it on VHS a million you're times. You're too young to have seen it in the theater. Um, We'll see. Uh, thanks. Um, but it was so bizarre because that was, what is it, 1,200 people in there? Uh, 1,400 in the um, Castro, yeah. And all the, those movies feel so intimate to everyone that loves them. They're such cult classics. And you feel like you're the person that notices the little eye thing. And, you know, like only you get that part. And then you're in there with people and everyone's laughing at everything, which is both like thrilling and a little violating because it feels like, oh, no, only I get that. That's uh, my yeah. special joke. Well, I'm glad you felt violated <laughs> at our screening yesterday. I really did. I, I don't want to make this I about really me, did. but I was a victim yesterday. And uh, if anybody wants to help me through it, I'd really appreciate it. We, I, I saw it four times in the theater when it came out. And for me, I, I rarely revisit anything in the theater. But I think this is one of those movies that... You notice something different every time you watch it because someone might be saying something. Just watching Catherine O'Hara's face reacting half the time is beyond hilarious. And her dialogue, you could probably... I had never watched it just focusing on her as much. But yesterday I was thinking, you could probably fit into her entire dialogue on a page. She hardly says anything. You don't know. Yeah, you think uh, she's... Uh not in the scene until you watch the scene later. She, yeah. She's really great to work with. She, she, she's always doing something. Always a little thing. There, there's a scene in the Chinese restaurant where she's <laughs> drinking the wine. And from off stage, Chris was saying, drain the glass, drain the glass. And when the scene was over, she says, Chris, that was real wine in there. So <laughs> I think she was getting a little bit tipsy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that, I mean, the ensembles that uh, Chris brings in for these movies, you guys all work together a lot now. Is there somebody in particular that you have a hard time not breaking when you work with? Well, Eugene Levy is always, uh, he, even if he's doing something serious, he is just funny. And I always say the one time I, well, there are two times I've broken up while filming a movie, and one is the scene where he comes in as the um, explorer, and he can't be wearing his glasses, right. and he's got two wandering eyes. And, and I said, well, that, that, that could be funny until he says, uh, I, I, my line to him is, what if your keen and perceptive eyes be held? <laughs> and I started to laugh, and we actually, it's the only time that they ever had to stop filming. <laughs> and Christopher said, okay, let's start over. I said, no, I, I've got to sit here and just laugh it out. <laughs> In fact, I think I went and got my camera and took a picture of Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> who just would stand there, and he just wouldn't uh, wouldn't give, you know. Um, but he he makes me laugh, and he's a wonderful victim. I feel very aggressive <laughs> when I'm working with him. I remember in one movie, he always plays kind of a, someone who's just a little off. <laughs> I remember saying to him in one scene, "You look like a man who spends a lot of time in the bathroom." <laughs> I don't know what that meant. It was just, <laughs> You could, you could give any meaning to it. But he's a wonderful, uh, wonderfully funny man. 
Uh, Bob Balaban, uh, on the other extreme, is very quiet. He'll feed you lines. He'll work with you. He, he'll never try to top you. Uh, he, he's just a, a wonderful improviser. I'm not picking him out as better than anybody. This comes to but mind. But he's it's, the best one. It's great to work with. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. And Christopher Guest, um, I, I, I told him in one scene, and in some movie I was doing, I, I started telling him, I said, in this scene I'm going to do this. He said, I usually don't want to know what the other actors are going to do, but in your case, you can tell me. <laughs> but he really, wants, he really wants to be in the moment, which scares me. I would prefer, I think I'm always better on a second run through, because mm. it, 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 it's just, you know... It, a second time is going to be better than a first time, I think, unless you're Robin Williams or something. You just take off and then say, I don't remember what I did. It's all gone. Um, so uh, well, improv itself kind of scares me. But uh, it, when you're working with people who, are, who you know and you trust, it, it can be a lot of fun. When you do, like in, in Best in Show, you have so many, like, zing, zing, zing. Uh, do you do a lot of setup for, like, all the possible jokes you could do? Because your characters are often, you know, they, they're like showmen of their own show, the star of their own show. So for something like that, do you do a lot of prep, or is it mostly found for in the Best in Show I did, um, Christopher said, uh, it's better if you don't know anything about dogs. Uh, right. <laughs> so... <laughs> I thought, no, I've got to know a lot about dogs to pretend I didn't. So I, I would, and this was the second movie after Waiting for Guffman, which had cut, I think it was an 85-minute movie that he cut down from 50 hours of film. Yeah, crazy. And so much of the stuff was left on the cutting room floor. I said, my stuff is going to be cut to ribbons. I'll probably be a little voiceover and a few uh, glimpses of me. So I thought of every joke I could think of. <laughs> And I said, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And a lot of it came just on the spot, too. Yeah. Because um, the first night I got there, they, they were, um, it was right near the end of the filming. And Christopher and Eugene Levy were about to have dinner. And they said, come on and, in and join us. And so I went and I sat down. And I said, have there been a lot of uh, Shih Tzu jokes yet? And they said, no. I, <laughs> I said, well, there will be tomorrow. <laughs> But so I pulled out every joke I could think of, and yeah. I said, they'll cut what they want to cut. But they left just enough of my stuff. I've seen it a few times, and by the end of the movie, I say, I'm glad there's no more. I've seen enough. <laughs> I think that it would have been nice if there would have been a scene of me and Jim Piddick, who was my uh, partner there, Perfect walking out, making a few comments. Well, that went well. <laughs> him saying, yeah, I guess it did. <laughs> And that was, I, I know it was Jim Piddick's first experience in the ensemble and stuff like that, too. And I, I guess Chris told him that it's not going to be about you in these scenes. Yeah. What, uh, what was it like working with Jim? I mean, he must have... Well, he is brilliant. and it, Well, anyone with a British accent is brilliant. To right. <laughs> uh, but he was wonderful. I think he, it, it annoyed him a little, uh, the scene we did. Now, he was kind of on edge when he came. They brought him over from London. He was doing a, his own series in London. And he had to be back within five days. And the first day they brought us in to see the footage of what we would be pretend we were seeing. Then they called us uh, at the hotel and they said, now we're not going to do the scene tomorrow as scheduled. We're going to do it Wednesday. And he called me in the hotel room. He says, uh, they're, they're not going to use us tomorrow. I damn well have to be back in London. Uh, I have to leave on Thursday. So he came in with a little bit of an edge. Then when I took off doing all this stuff, I think he was a little... Annoyed, um, but then when he saw the finished product and saw how great the scene went, we, we've become very good friends. And uh, uh, he he's been he's now partners up with uh, Christopher on the last. We're just in a movie called Mascots. He's writing with Christopher and also um, uh, the thing they did for HBO. Oh, Family Tree. Yeah. Family Tree. I was trying to say the Tree of Life. Mm. Which is close. Family <laughs> tree. So he's great. He's a good friend now. And, uh, it just and I, met, the I met Eric Idle through him. Oh. oh wow. Which was great, yes. How did that go down? Well, at, at a rap party, you know, for one of the movies. And, and I, um, so just a thrill. I was such a fan of Monty Python. Yeah. 
And, uh, and Eric Idle was, just had such funny stuff. He was the one, I think, who created the nudge-nudge, uh, wink-wink, is she a goer, is she, which was a classic of all times. And uh, he, he, he's responsible for Spam-A-Lot. And, um, in fact, he wanted me to be in Spam-A-Lot. And I couldn't for some oh, reason. Oh, no. Then I saw Tim Curry do it, and I said, oh, geez, I couldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> But he's, it, it was wonderful to meet a comic idol like that. Yeah. Well, speaking of Python and stuff, who, growing up, what, who were your comedic influences? What were you really into? Bob Hope, Red Skelton, and I loved the Bob Hope, Bing Crosby movies where they would suddenly turn to the screen, to the audience, and, hey, that guy looks like Trump. And I, I'd never seen that as a kid. <laughs> and I said, oh, you didn't realize you could, you could do that. Um, I think my favorite movie, the one who influenced... Well, no, I think Bob Hope influenced me. If I could have a whole different career, it'd be doing what Bob Hope did. Just one-liners, haunted house movies, hold that <laughs> It's hey, not too yeah. late. Yeah, right. yeah, it's about time Hollywood reboots the comedic haunted house movie. It's been a little while. <laughs> I, I'd love to be in a room where you see a, a, a painting where the eyes move. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and when the hand comes out, you go forward there and... Uh, no, but my favorite comedy movie as a kid was The Court Jester with Danny Kaye. Danny Kaye, yeah, great movie. A lot of people probably don't remember him, um, but he was wonderful. He was, uh, he, he was just like mercurial. He could sing songs, and one of the funniest bits is when he's got the joust, and he's in full armor, and the, the woman comes up and says there's pellet, in the po- pellet of, with a poison is in the vessel with the pestle. The chalice from the palace is in the brew that is true. And, he keeps, and he's walking, he keeps remembering, and finally he says, all right, the chalice with the palace has the pellet that's brew. She says, wait, there's been a cha- uh, change. <laughs> um, so I, I, always, I always admired him. I knew I could never do what he did. He danced, he sang, he was very romantic, he was very handsome, he was like a leading man. And, um, but Bob Hope, I thought I could do what he did. And, uh, uh, I never, I Sorry, Bob. <laughs> and he had a great life. 100 years old, boy. Yeah. yeah. Didn't, when did you know you were going to pursue comedy? Because you went to VMI, right? Yes. That's a no, whole other show. Why? Yeah. Um, well, I was a class clown in, in, in grade school, junior high school. And I always had a good sense of humor. Um, then I went to, um, when I got, uh, I was in the Army for two years. It was the time you, there was a draft. Mm-hmm. You had to go in. And I got to go to Germany, and I played baseball in our battalion team, and I got to travel around. And I always made jokes. Right? You were with funny guys. One thing about being in the Army, you met guys from all over the country. Um, at, where, where I grew up, you, you, they were just, everyone was Caucasian and from the same country. You met funny guys. They made you laugh all the time. Um, so we, we clowned around a lot. Then I decided to go to New York. Um, and I got into some a showcase or a play in, in Summer Stock. It was Mooney's Kid Don't Cry, a Tennessee Williams one actor. And the audience laughed. There were a lot of sarcastic lines in it. The plot was that I was a, a, a guy who grew up chopping down trees in the North Woods. Unfortunately, I had to get married to some woman who I got pregnant, and we were living in the city, and the baby woke us up in the middle of the night, and I wanted to be back up where the stars were shining, and I got stuck with you, and it was very serious. But the audience laughed at my line, so much so that the director, before the, the show, we did the show about three times, had to come out and say, now this is not a comedy. Oh. <laughs> and, I, and I always felt uh, a little easier doing comedic lines. Um, I had kind of an unhappy childhood. I don't want to get into it, but I, so I always, but I had funny aunts and uncles. So it was always like a comedy break when my aunts and uncles would come over. My uncle would try to steal silverware, <laughs> you know, just as a joke. And I had an aunt who drank and would fall asleep at Thanksgiving dinner and These her husband the would say, times. Betty, wake up and finish your drink. Uh, so I, uh, I just, I was so happy when they were over. Everything was funny. Uh, so I, I just find comfort in, in comedy. So you did Second City. Yes, for one, one good year. And it was, 
And I didn't want to do it, like most jobs I was offered, I didn't want to do it, because uh, I had a comedy partner in New York. We, we did quite well. We did on a, a couple of Ed Sullivan shows, and we played um, out here at the old Hungry Eye. Uh, in fact, we played with Barbara Streisand when mm. she was not quite known yet. Um, or she was just getting to be known. We were on the bill with her. And um, then my partner and I broke up, and I was working with someone else, and that didn't work out. And I, You know how it is. You can never find the right chemistry. And they auditioned us from, for Second City. My agent called, and they said, they're in town. They'd, they'd like to, you know, to audition for Second City. And I'd seen Second City. I'm kind of ignoring this audience over here. This is probably all the critics and the news people. Hi. <laughs> But now, yeah, I don't want to ignore the host here, so I'll be... Do you have Critics those... to this side. <laughs> Newspeak? If I had one of those chairs, it would swivel constantly. And you could have put some of the audience back here, you know, like... In a, in a... Next year, we'll get, like, a rotating you know, yeah, disc yeah. that just constantly keeps saying... us moving. <laughs> I mean, we could periodically rotate our... <laughs> oh, Yeah. Let's start this whole thing over. <laughs> really line. excited to have this guy here, guys. You know him from all the Christopher Guest movies, Fernwood Tonight, a lot of other things. Ladies and gentlemen, Fred, Fred Willard. Willard. Never saw Star Wars. No, all right. Well, <laughs> oh, it's a sliding doors moment. <laughs> Alternate timeline. Anyway, uh, I, I spent a wonderful year at Second City. My, uh, and, and the first time I ever had ever improvised, and I found out I could kind of do it. What was the question you said? I you just said, I just said, said you did Second, Second City. City. I actually Second City. That was well. Um, but then Ace Trucking Company came out of that, that right? That right after that, uh, some g- people came to me and they said, we're, we're doing an improv sketch group. Would you like to be part of it? I said, yes, I had some good ideas for sketches at Second City that I never got to do. So we did that show, and uh, there were five of us, four guys and a, a girl, and it, it caught on right away. And before we knew it, we were on The Tonight Show. Wow. Before we even had a name for the group, they tried to give us names like Laugh Out. You know, Laugh In was on at the time. All right. And we didn't want, <laughs> uh, but we got Ace Trucking Company because we thought that was so generic that every city you go to, there must be a, an Ace typewriter rental, Ace <laughs> Trucking Company. Um, and we had a wonderful time for several years because when you work by yourself or with one other person and there's not much of a crowd or the show doesn't go well, oh, you dropped a line or, geez, what happened? Well, there were five of us. If the show didn't go well, our only question was, work, oh, good, with no second show, we can go to eat. Let's mm-hmm. find out. Right. We just had a wonderful time. Um, and you opened for Tom Jones a lot, we right? We did, which oh. was a thrill. It must and have been he, hard with like the stage covered in panties. Panties everywhere. You... <laughs> oh, well, yeah. They, they, they'd clear the stage off, and then Tom would come on, and we'd... Uh... See, the joke was they threw the panties for us. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they... Our guest today, you guys, you know from things like... Uh, we, we had a different audience... One man threw his wife's underwear on the stage with her in them. <laughs> Look at the camera. Not a bad joke. <laughs> kind of an Andy Kindler thing. With her in them. <laughs> Do not resuscitate my career. You like Andy? You like Andy Kindler? He's just wonderful. If, if you ever see him, he's just. Uh, it's, it's a whole oh, trip. Kindler's great. And the other comics are like losing their minds. Mm-hmm. Half the audience is laughing. Half the audience is confused. It's the best. Kindler's the With best. With Andy, yes. Let's talk about other comics. Or did you have a schedule here? To what to talk? No, about? no. It's go wherever it wants to go. Who do you uh, Who do you like nowadays? Who are uh, the comedy comedians currently working that you enjoy? <clears throat> or shows on that you're liking? Well, uh, the one, one I have to go back to Second City. Robert Klein was in my company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to this Amazing. day, he's still one of my fi- favorite comics. Jerry Seinfeld is, is a, a comic I don't really laugh at, but I, you just fell watching him. And say, oh, God, where does he come up with these wonderful ideas? As opposed to like uh, Don Rickles. If you ever see 20 minutes of Don Rickles, you just laugh. Um, but, uh, and uh, Rodney Dangerfield I used to love. Oh, God, he was... He was the only comic I knew where other comics would get in a group and just quote his lines. Huh. Oh, wow. Dave Attell, I love. Oh, yeah. Attell's great. So blue. Usually I don't like, usually I don't approve of, of, of two blue comics, 
but he uses it in the right way. He, um, I loved some a lot of Lenny Bruce's stuff. Um, Bobby Collins is a guy that no one seems to have heard of, but he's very, very mainstream but very funny. Uh, John Pinette, I never saw. You know, he was a very yeah. Guy. He just passed, passed away. Recently, yeah. Well, the Todd Berry, I get them confused. There's a Todd Berry and a. Well, this is Todd Berry. Todd, <laughs> exactly. Um, Todd Berry is a very dry, sardonic. There's two of them. One wears a baseball. One was on Louis C.K. Yeah, Todd Berry's on Louis C.K. Yeah, he's. On and there's Louis. another, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of great. Uh, Every, every, I, they're all funny. Oh, oh uh, Larry the Cable Guy, I love. <laughs> Larry the Cable Guy. That's who I expected at the end of that list. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I love the dry observational humor, but a good Larry the Cable Guy joke. He said he had his friend is so strict with it, he won't allow his 13 year old daughter to drink beer while she's nursing her baby. <laughs> that there's funny now. That's funny as, as midges racing. Yeah, but uh, comedy is wonderful because... <laughs> I used to like Larry the Cable. I kind of sold out now that he's Lawrence the Streaming Gentleman. He's, he's a lot more... I don't know. Sorry, guys. Uh. Our guest today, <laughs> Fred Holler. But comedy is wonderful. The trouble is... Yeah, I like to listen to it on comedy radio... You're a little bit, uh, unless you know what you're going to see, you're going to be stuck with some people who... Uh, Norm MacDonald is funny. Oh, oh God, do I love Norm MacDonald. Uh, anyway, and I, I'm kind of friendly with Norm. Norm was great. I met him for the first time in Vegas. Kevin was, Kevin Pollock, who's in the audience. Hi, Kevin. Uh, was there doing a, a poker tournament we got introduced, and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget it. Uh, Norm MacDonald said, oh, the Strattons. Like, it was a big deal to meet me and my wife, Jenny, <laughs> and it just killed me. I had the biggest crush on Norm MacDonald. Going into college, I thought it was a universally hot person. I wasn't in touch, I guess, with many other women at the time. <laughs> but uh, I brought dirty work to college, like, as one of the few things I packed in my bag. And all the little, the girls my, in my freshman hall were, like, going around, like, talking about who they thought was hot. And I was just like, you guys want to watch dirty work? Uh, and they didn't. Nobody did. I just, like, so. picturing you going into your dorm room for the first time, sitting on a bag, unzipping it, and just pulling out a DVD copy of Dirty Work, re-zipping <laughs> the bag, Popping it, it in away. and going to the happy I like place. it. Yeah. Well, Kevin Pollack is another one. I worked in, in a movie with him, and all day long when we were not filming, I would ask him to do Chris Walken. Do, uh, <laughs> he, he had to talk to me in character. <laughs> and he was very obliging. It was, it was wonderful. Shh. <laughs> 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 Have we broken for a commercial? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A word from Kia. <laughs> Enjoying Star Wars. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, your collaboration with Martin Mull on all the Fernwoods. And oh, you guys have worked so together good. throughout the years. Martin is absolutely amazing. How did you guys initially meet and start working together? Well, I got, I got a call to... Um, uh, they said, we're doing this show. It's a, a talk show. And we... Uh, you, they, they said I would be the host, and I said, oh, that's good, because at Second City, I'd played the host of some show. And they said, well, you're not the host, you're the co-host, you're the, the, the um, Art McMahon. Uh, the Ed McMahon? Ed McMahon. So I started thinking about, I started recommending other people who would be better, and they said, no, no, come in. <laughs> the host is Martin Mull. Now, I'd seen Martin Mull at a club, and I was just knocked out by him. He was so dry, and so he t- didn't take easy targets. He was just uh, great. And they said, and I, I, I was doing something else. I said, no, nah, I don't think I really want to do that. They said, well, we need someone to be the co-host. Would you just come in and fill in for a week while we do test shows, while we find someone else? So after about three days, I laughed so much. I said, you know, I'm kind of enjoying this. I'd love to do it. So then I became the co-host. And... Um, what we tried to do, and which I like to try to do in all my, my comedy, the comedy I like best, is we tried to make it as real a talk show as, as it – people did believe it people was a real – People thought it was a real town, right? A real yeah. cable show yeah. from somewhere in Ohio. Um, <clears throat> it was the time of the gong show, and the producer would bring in acts from the gong show, and Martin would object. He said, I don't want the people from the gong show. Let's get real, seemingly real people that, to come on. And the writing was wonderful. Harry Shearer and Martin wrote Martin's monologue, and we had a whole crew of really good writers. Is that how you got kind of hooked in for Spinal Tap and everything? 
Um, I'm trying to think. No, I had worked with um, Michael McKeon, probably a bit, Michael McKeon and, and Harry Shear. Um, they had a comedy group, and I'd worked with them, and so, so I knew them. And Christopher Guest was an understudy in a play I had done early on in New mm-hmm. York, and I, I didn't really know him, but I think they all got together and said Fred Willard would be good for this part in Spinal Tap. Yeah, so good. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And, uh, I mean, we didn't even talk about the later, um, couple, couple of the later Christopher Guest movies, um, A Mighty Wind. Uh, where did um, where did what happened come from? Yeah. I gotta know because that kills me. I, I, just, I think where I was with some friends once and he fell down and he said what happened? And I said, you know, that would be a good catchphrase, for it. and it always stayed in my mind. So that was it. And then I, uh, yeah, that was uh, I used that, and the the. The premise there was that I thought it was funny that this character assumed everybody in the world was aware of this, of this lame one sitcom <laughs> he had done right. 20 years before. I know what you're all asking, and I'll say it. What happened? <laughs> that old catch right now, and no one says, Who? what is he talking about? <laughs> and the hair choice for that character is really special as well. Yeah, I, I'm getting the... Uh, her choice is confused between some of the movies, but I. This is a lovely blonde hair. look. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're hearing for your consideration as the, the yes the entertainment news. Yes, that was that was fun too. Amazing. Yeah. Well, it, it it gives you a different if you do something like that, it takes you out of yourself, and I think everyone wants to be an actor because they want to be something other than themselves, mm-hmm. and suddenly you look in the mirror and oh, it's not me. Uh, I'm I can do this. Now, after um, Best in Show, I would be called a lot. We're doing a dog show. We'd love you to come out and comment on the dogs. <laughs> and I'd say, well, it's tough to do because I was playing this jackass uh, who, who assumed the whole world was interested in my personal feats as opposed to pers- uh, interested in the dog show. I can't duplicate that. Actually, I love dogs, but I can't go out and make stupid jokes asshole, about yeah. the dog. Uh, and if people could do that better than I, I would do. So I, I usually would say, uh, no, I don't want to do that. When, and then when I see they'd give the part to someone else, I'd say, hey, why didn't they use me? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you also, and this is something I used to watch when I was a kid, DC Follies, working with the Sid and Marty Croft puppets. Yes, I bet no one ever saw that, but it was done about eight, uh, oh God, I almost said 1890. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It wasn't that far back. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was the funniest show during the gold rush. It was, <laughs> it was a 19, about 1990. Well, the premise was it was a bar in Washington, and they were all life-size puppets of political figures and um, celebrities. I was the only live person. I was the bartender. And it was a wonderful show uh, because I, I would interact with Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, uh, um, Whoopi Goldberg, and, and they were really realistic-looking puppets. Um, and uh, it should be done. Sid and Marty Croft did it. It was a wonderful show the first year. And they were supposed to have a guest every week. And I'd go, come in and say, who's the guests are? Oh, we forgot to get one. <laughs> and I, I said, well, I saw Guy Marks walking through the lot. Oh, would you go out and ask him to be on the show? But they ended up, they got, we got Mike Tyson as a guest. Oh, wow. uh, we got the guy that played Freddy Krueger. Uh, I would call someone. They'd, oh, well, yeah, see if he'll do it. Um, the second year, they got, they got screwed up. But it's a show that should be on today, even if I'm not involved with because what, what's going on in politics you imagine what they would do no oh, i know it would be amazing. and you really felt like you were talking to these to ronald reagan and uh and and woody allen and rodney dangerfield it, it was just so much fun and also you were the only human person in wally right yes i was i was the first person to appear human to appear in a mo- in a pixar movie yeah oh was, my gosh that's so cool so that was fun i was the president of the universe i think yeah no big deal yeah <laughs> that's a role no one will turn down if it's offered to them <laughs> that's so great um and also uh, roxanne one of my favorite movies ever 
uh, you were the mayor in that, and of yes. course, uh, that line about I'd rather be with the people in this town than the finest people in the world <laughs> still kills me to this would day. You, would, yes. <laughs> and one interesting thing I found about Steve Martin, I was a big fan of Steve Martin, he came up to a couple of us and he said, do you guys want to go to, to lunch? You know, he didn't, he, he didn't want to be around people. He wanted to have people he knew with him. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure people would come up and say, hey, the wild and crazy guy. And, and he's not a wild and crazy guy right. in person. And he's a very bright, bright person. Um, and, it was, and it was great to work with him. Very inventive. Such a great film. Such a great performance in that as well. So. Who, mine or Steve's? Um, Steve's. Yeah, Steve's. 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 great. Mm-hmm. Our guest tonight. Uh, well, let's do first. We do this every okay. podcast. A different first from life. Uh, what was the? I know you're a big baseball nut. What was the first baseball game you can remember going to? I think. Uh, well, I'm from Cleveland. My father took me to the Municipal Stadium, and I'd, I'd never remember the team, so I'd have to make a, a medley of them. I remember. I know I saw Ted Williams play, and I know I saw. Joe DiMaggio, wow. and, I, and I collected baseball cards that were in black and white. And so what, what was amazing to me when you'd walk in the field and the grass was green and the players had colored uniforms, it was kind of a shock because you picture, <laughs> you know, you see a movie now that was, takes place in the 30s. They used to like to have it in black and white, and then maybe it'll just dissolve into color. But you, you thought, you sometimes think that the whole world was black and white then. And one thing I do remember, there was a catcher, a pop fly, he threw off his mask and his hat, and he was completely bald. And it just shocked me. Because <laughs> you only saw the pictures of the players with their hats on. I said, how could he be bald? His hair fell off. <laughs> Stuck to his hat. <laughs> he wants to catch that ball so bad. What was yours, Vanessa? Do you know? That's a great question. Um, You're a big baseball I fan. I love all the sports. Um, this one especially is close to me. I am sure I saw one and I <laughs> ate a hot dog. I just remember there were, I think it was probably in Tennessee when I was really young, uh, like a little local league. Uh, but I remember I just like hid under the bleachers with snacks. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a good time because usually I didn't get much junk food. But I think because my family wanted to watch the game, let me load up and chow down. <laughs> so pretty good sports. <laughs> How about you, Cole? Uh, I mean, it's hard when you're little to remember exactly when you went for the first time, but I, it was definitely at Tiger Stadium, I'm pretty sure, um, seeing the Detroit Tigers, which is, you know, I'm, I grew up in Michigan until I was about nine before I moved up to California, and it, I still have very loyal to all my Detroit teams, um, and even the Lions, and that's excruciating. But um, I do, I just, you just remember that, I just remember walking across like the freeway on an overpass with everybody to get in and out of the stadium and it you know feeling so little and seeing everybody and it was really crowded and stuff and going in and was yours in color too it was in color Mm -hmm. yeah uh the thing i remember about tiger stadium is it was really small compared to a lot of the club like other ballparks was like you know right field is like if you hit a ball 25 feet it's a home run uh it was really shallow and stuff and now they have comerica which is a beautiful park but it's a lot it's way big it's a lot bigger and it's a very different experience it is a pretty park their new park yeah it's really. i I, I hate new parks i uh, if it were up to me they'd still have the old yeah shibe park in philadelphia connie mack would still be managing but it was a beautiful park. It reminded me of the park in Cleveland. Would you wait for autographs for the players? Sometimes we would get there early enough to go to batting practice and stuff. I remember uh, later on um, we were, like, visiting or something, and I got Bobby Higginson to sign a ball, and a couple of years later it just, like, the ink just disappeared off the ball. Oh. And I was like, it was a fun four-year autograph. What happened to him? That was Maybe terrific. he made a wish that changed the course of his life so he was no longer a baseball player. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> So wait, my signature faded like Marty McFly from the photo. At the, that's what you're saying? I got Doc Brown out of, a, out of an autograph? This that's is just terrible. one woman's thought. So right. we should look him up and maybe he never played. There was exactly. no such thing. <gasps> wait, if I mentioned him, oh, my hand's disappearing. Uh, I do have like uh, an autographed uh, Cecil Fielder baseball. Wow. Um, which I enjoy. I don't know by enjoying it. I don't, it's not like I look at him like, I enjoy this. Um, but that's one of the things that's I still have. Prince Fielder's father. It is, yeah. Do you have a lot of memorabilia? 
Uh, quite a bit of memorabilia, yes. I, I um, tried to recollect the baseball cards that my mother threw away. Ooh. Um, uh, and then I started collecting uh, cards, and then I collect baseball monthly magazines. I've kind of stopped now, though. It gets, gets too much. Yeah. But you can thank everybody's moms for throwing away those cards because oh. that's why they're valuable now. <laughs> oh, my God. Because then the yeah. collector's culture started and everybody has them. They're like something I've had in like Mylar pages for like 30 years. I look and it's like, it was worth 15 cents. Now it's worth 35 cents. <laughs> like they just don't appreciate it like they used to because they're not rare. I know. Well, yeah. And what was it with moms throwing away cards? You know, they were forced into a life they didn't particularly want. And then <laughs> when they got a sniff of freedom, honey, they were going for it. They were pressing the gas and lighting the flame. I mean, they could have just put them all in the spokes that of That man our comes tires. home drinking every night. I'm going to throw my son's baseball cards out. <laughs> That'll show him. <laughs> I'll either shoot my husband or throw out my kid's baseball cards. <laughs> and then I'm going to be a dancer. <laughs> Let's make my kid a victim too. <laughs> oh boy! It seems to me if your if your husband abuses you, that's bad. But if you kill your husband, that's a little worse, isn't oh, it? Oh, potatoes! They, I didn't want to get political about it. <laughs> well, her husband abused her. Yeah, but she killed him. But I think we're losing focus here. What about those poor cards? Those I want poor, to talk poor about cards. Donald Trump and Putin and get into that thing. And what are we going to do about North Korea with our atom bomb? Right. Let's, uh, enough with the laughter, ladies and gentlemen. They just can't help it. <laughs> From North Korea, coming to the state. No, that, wouldn't that be fun? Biden's, no. <laughs> no, no, that's the right Steve word. Steve Martin and... Uh, <laughs> Who's the head of North Korea? Don Ho? That's not right, is it? Don Ho? That's very Don Ho. close. Don, Don Ho. Ho. They, they revere tiny bubbles. They elect Tiny bubbles. That's where it is now. Jeez, I didn't I do like the idea of those round tables that are completely inappropriate, smatterings of people. Like, I read a sketch that we did in a group in L.A. that was like a mysterious phenomenon show, and it was like... Uh, some uh, expert in like creatures and UFOs and like Christian Leitner from the Dream Team and other people that just did not make sense to be there. Um, but yeah, I always love those kinds of shows that are the weird hodgepodge of people trying to talk about something. You never know how it's going to go. And on that note, um, you could put another commercial in. Here. Yeah. That's right. We'll be right back after these few words. Kia Sorenta, and we're back. <laughs> Uh, well, since uh, you've done a lot of improv in your life and you work what? improv, oh, improv. Um, and we do a decent amount of improv, I like to mm -hmm. say, in Los Angeles, we thought it would be fun uh, to do an old school improv game with you if you were game. Oh, um, it's, yeah. it's a playbook game, theoretically, which we have on our phones here. So what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to pull up the script of uh, Gary Glenn Ross. <laughs> But David Mamet, and you've got, what do you have? I have um, a cat on a hot tin roof. Cat on a hot on tin a hot, roof. yeah. All right. By, uh, Tennessee, Tennessee Williams, Williams, yep. And, uh, Tennessee Williams again. Mm -hmm. Liz Taylor. It all oh, back. oh, my God. So here we go. So um, can I get a page number from like 1 to 50, say, from you guys? 15? I heard 15. And Vanessa, you get one as well? Oh, yeah. May I also have a number? 27. Lucky, Crystal clear. Lucky number 11. Um, and what's my very scary role in this? Uh, we will get... Uh, can we have a location? Like a, a fun location? <laughs> Let's make it fit on the stage. Yeah, that fits. Coney Island. I like that. Where? Coney Island. Oh, Coney Island. So this scene's going to take place in Coney Island. Here's the only thing. Uh, I can only speak from what I see on these pages from Glenn Gray, Glenn Ross. You can only speak from what you see okay. on a cat on a hot tin roof. And uh, you can react however you want to react. And we'll what, what order do we talk in? Yep. <laughs> what? What order do we speak in? It doesn't matter. It's like an improv scene. Well, we've got a lot of rules for things that don't matter then. Okay. <laughs> Page 27. I can only read this, but have fun with it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Our guest today, you know, from things like waiting for him. Uh, so Coney Island is the suggestion where this scene takes place. Um, and why don't we get? Do you want to get? Do you want anything else? Do you want an occupation or anything? Will that help you? No. All right. <laughs> I'm afraid nothing will help me, but I'll give it a try. Here. All right. But uh, I'll start. Let me start. It's sure. always yeah. fun to start. Sure. Uh, are you folks uh, from around here? 
I'm not naming it dirty. I'm naming it clean. Well, I didn't ask for a judgment. I just want to know if there's clam broth. Uh, they used to sell it here when I was a kid. I'd never try to sell an Indian. Well, uh... Well, then you haven't been listening. You don't know what I'm saying. I'm naming it so damn clean that you killed poor Skipper. I think you have me mistaken for someone else. Because oh. uh, I was just on the big uh, roller coaster ride, and they did have to carry someone off of it, but I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, they fucked it up. Rick, don't brain me yet. Let me finish. No, let her finish, because uh, I think I'm suddenly the victim of an accusation here. He slapped me on the mouth. Well... I remember the incident. Were you, were you in the same car with him? Who mm-hmm. shot Cock Robin? I think alcohol has had some to do with that. And I don't see why I might have slapped her myself. Are you, are you with her? We're stuck with this fucking shit. Oh, yes. Give your uncle his crutch. He's a cripple, honey. He broke his ankle last night jumping hurdles on the high school athletic field. Is that you? Because you, you seem to have recovered very well. Goddamn right, that's right. That's Guys, your answer. On. Go away, little girl. That's the first time I've been called a little girl. <laughs> but I don't take it as an insult. No, that's I, absolutely right. You know, I have cross-dressed at times, but I've been told I'm not too beautiful a woman, so to be called a little girl is kind of flattering. Yeah, that's a problem I will have to work out. Well, we are all trying to work that out, and I think we're being accepted a little more for what we are at the present time. Now, you with the broken ankle, um, you still come back down to the island. That's what I'm saying. Why? The leads. Let's have some music for to start the party with. Well, I think you go over to the carousel. They got plenty of music. And, uh, but just be careful. A guy fell off it yesterday and ironically broke his ankle. <laughs> oh, you bad boy. You, you're my bad little boy. <laughs> well, that's interesting, then. That I've suddenly switched to, a, to be a, from a cute little girl to a bad boy. It's almost exciting in a way. And I wish I'd explored transgender, uh, the transgender community even earlier. That's the God's truth. And it gets me depressed. Preacher, preacher. Hey, preach. Oh, well, there's someone with an agenda, always. You know, this is 2016. And I think you should be more accepting. And I just merely ask if there's any clam juice down here. You're absolutely right. And I want to tell you something. Someone should stand up and strike back. Well, she's been hit once. (laughs) And see. Thank you, Fred. (laughs) We really nailed Coney Island. We got it. Straight to Broadway. Straight to Broadway. Is Guffman out there? Okay, I'll do my questions. Are you ready? Are you still in uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof? No, I'm in oh. the real world. Now. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever met an Olsen twin? An Olsen twin? No, I never have. Uh. <laughs> okay. Is that like a, a knock-knock joke? I'm supposed to... Nah. No, I haven't met one, but I uh, put two of them together and they make a nice... Di- <laughs> Sound like a setup for a joke. Have it you ever met an Olsen twin? Uh, would you rather spend a year of your life judging dog shows or a year as a travel agent? I'd like to judge dog shows. In all seriousness, I love dogs. Oh. And uh, yeah, they're they're wonderful animals. They're very lovable. And I, yeah, I'd love to. Do you have a favorite breed? Uh, well, no, I, I yes, I do. And as a little boy, I had a cocker spaniel. They're oh. so cute. But they are are all wonderful, except the. Uh, what are the ones that are always killing children? Um, <laughs> they're, they're charming, but they'll kill an occasional uh, child. You're thinking dachshunds. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, pit bulls. They've got a bad rap. 
They do. But My brother got has one. Of gold. I think it's. I think honestly, it's all how a dog is uh, raised. Yeah. By its owners, you know. Yes. Um, some can be bred to be awful, and some are bred to be sweet. So there you go. Okay. Very political answer handled by Cole Stratton. <laughs> um, no, it was good. Uh, okay, if you could revive any TV show you've ever done, and that could even be a guest spot, and you get to bring it back, and now you're the center of it. I think uh, Lois and Clark. I would. I always want to play Superman. Ooh, yeah. I always want to play Superman. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, now, I, I did a, a scene on, on Lois and Clark, and... Uh, Lois and Superman was there, and there's some some evil guy was supposed to end the world, and um, he had a, his finger on the thing he's going to end the world. I had a, several lines in the scene, and the woman who played Lois, uh, he he went to, oh he had a gun. I, I'm trying to get this straight. <laughs> he was going to shoot, and she she objected to the sense of the scene. Why would I be worried about someone shooting me when he could press? the button, and end the world. Okay, we'll rewrite it, which meant my next three or four lines were gone. And I want to say, Lois, we're talking about Superman, a man who flies, and you're trying to reason why someone would do... <laughs> so that's my, my memory. So Lois would not be in the show. It would just be yeah. Superman. <laughs> Clark. Just Clark. <laughs> Clark just and around. Clark. If you had to wear the... Hey, would it be the good idea a Superman who's transgender and it was not... Lo- well, he already it, it has was, beautiful tights. not Clark tights. Kent, it was a lady, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like Superwoman. Superman? That's what it would be called. Jane, have you seen Superman? Oh, he's quite attractive, but uh, I have to step into this phone booth and change for a minute. Oh, I get it now. Mm-hmm. I didn't follow it first. Ah. I'd like to see a show that follows superheroes, but not when they're doing anything fighting crime. It's just them at home, like, making ramen and stuff. And being tr- tremendously bored, pr- probably. Yeah. Does no one commit crimes anymore in this town? <laughs> or when they're, like, you know, like, they're really depressed and, you know, Superman's wearing sweatpants or something. You know? I'd like to see that show. I wonder, does Superman exercise? Do you think he'd go to a gym? Or oh, that's a good question. Doesn't, doesn't need it. Yeah. Is he even health conscious or does he get a free pass? Yeah. <laughs> We've got a lot to think about he tonight. Just, you guys. He just eats KFC like every day. Yeah. I don't uh, know my metabolism. Superman, I can get away with this. Uh, if you had to wear the wardrobe of any one of your characters exclusively, you don't get to wear your regular clothes anymore. I think the, I wore some kind of zoot suits in A Mighty Wind. Oh, yeah. I would like to wear that. <laughs> yeah, those yeah. are nice. Yeah, those are my own suits that I bought. Oh, my at gosh. At an urban really? store in Cleveland. I looked at the window and I said, I wish I could... Where can I ever wear these? I said, oh, I'm doing a mighty wind. My character would be perfect for these. Yellow with a stripe, yeah. pinstripe. Oh, my gosh. Those were your personal finds? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Paid about good. 70 bucks a pair. Uh, Whoa. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, your final question is one you've gotten a lot, but you've angered a wizard, um, and he's giving you a choice between two punishments. Either you don't have elbows... So your arms are just like this, or you have all your joints, but they move backwards. Oh, that would be fun! Oh. <laughs> and I think I'd be, a, be become a ma- ma- magician. Then. Yeah, you'd be something. Yes. <laughs> I never see someone so happy to take a punishment. Yeah. Ooh, I'd love to be a crab person. <laughs> <laughs> Yucky. Yeah. Uh, I think we actually have time to do this. Oh yeah, do it. Uh, this is a thing we do on the podcast sometimes called Build a Movie. Where, yeah, we got one fan. Uh, where uh, basically the three of us together can build a film, adding elements, plot elements, actors, directors, whatever. We have no budgetary constraints. It could be for many times. So Humphrey Bogart could be in it along with Channing Tatum. It doesn't matter. Um, so for this one, I thought it'd be fun to build the, uh, the best underdog sports movie we can think of where a team of ragtag misfits... Oh, I see. ...become amazing. So uh, let's, let's start that. Vincent, you want to kick it off? Mm-hmm. The sport is volleyball. Oh, great. And we follow a kid, an orphan kid, who... (laughs) Dreams of volleyball? Yeah. There's a rec... There's like a court behind the orphanage, and he's always looking out and just spiking it on the the beach court. He's in a beachside orphanage. (laughs) Are you glad you picked me to start? I love it so far. That's great. (laughs) I love the idea of, like, we don't have much food, but 
go play volleyball out back <laughs> on the beach. Yeah, All right. The, the, our butler will take you down there and <laughs> right. pack the ball around with you. <laughs> okay, so it's uh, a kid that dreams of volleyball yes. and plays in an orphanage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kid is played by... Uh, it's a girl, so it's, it's going to be uh, uh, Dakota Fanning. Ooh, when She's she was great. younger. Like I am Sam age? Sure. Okay. All right. So Dakota Fanning plays this kid with dreams of volleyball. And she actually gets adopted <gasps> by oh. uh, two people, one of which is an ex-Russian <laughs> volleyball coach. So he's pretty That's hardcore. so lucky for her. It is, isn't it? And he walked away from the sport uh, when he was asked to throw a game. Oh. Yeah. Played by Vigo Mortensen. Okay. Sure. So that's where we're at. Fred, want to add something to this? So she comes to the coach one day. Is is he her dad now? Or yeah, he's a doctor. All right. She says, coach, because he insists on she call him. <laughs> no, no. She calls him coach. He said, never call me coach. Call me dad. <laughs> I'm done with volleyball. <laughs> But she says, but I've always wanted to play volleyball. And he says, don't make me laugh. A girl? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Kate Blanchett, who's her mother, is in the kitchen burning uh, their other adopted son's baseball cards <laughs> in the oven. <laughs> I like it. It's developing. Yeah, we're getting a real story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... Uh... Uh, she gets a like there's a time jump. Okay. Um, she's now a, like seven years older or whatever. Is mm-hmm. like going off to college. She's trying to get a volleyball scholarship to volleyball university because this oh. is a fictitious film. Volleyball U is huge, but she only gets into volleyball state. <gasps> and she didn't have uh, like very many backup schools. She applied to Highlight Prep, didn't get in there. Um, so she goes to volleyball state, which is strangely in Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, and the volleyball coach there is Melissa McCarthy. All right. Wilson who? Melissa McCarthy. Oh. Okay. So now we're now we're in Alaska, and she's uh, at the state volleyball school. And when she goes into the office of the coach, Melissa McCarthy, she sees on the wall a picture of the tournament where Melissa McCarthy beat Viggo Mortensen because it was co-ed at the time. And it's all like, oh, that was her dad. Oh, no. Okay. Somebody okay. else has to do something. That's right. I, I just put it out. Fred, you want to add to this? Uh, and so uh, the girl goes into Melissa McCarthy's office and said, I would like to play on your volleyball team. And she says, I'm sorry, do you have a scholarship? And Melissa <laughs> says, no. Or the girl says, no. And Melissa says, well, then you're not, uh, you can never play for my team. I've already picked my team. And she says, oh, please, she says, I've given you my answer. And Melissa McCarthy turns and slams right through the wall, breaks oh. right through the wall, right. and trips and falls. Right. <laughs> Great cool gag. It's a good moment in the film. Oh, and Dakota Fanning's character name is Molly, and it's called Molly Ball. All right. Molly Ball is the name of the film. Usually we name it last, but I like that. Okay. Um, okay. And so, so she's just watching from the sidelines as this team goes. And because we're in Anchorage... Right before they're about to play, one of the uh, other girls, guys on the team, whatever, gets mauled by a Kodiak bear. Oh, oh, yeah. And so they're like, what are we going to do? We can't play shorthanded. And she's like, put me in, put me in. And um, Melissa McCarthy's like, fine. And then she gets tangled up in the net. <laughs> and the net falls over, and it's hilarious. And then, uh, yeah, then from there, Fred. Yeah. And she says, um, so she says, okay, we're going to put you in. I'll give it, let you play for a few minutes. But you better fucking play! <laughs> you gotta have a certain amount of raunchy in there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. For yeah. sure. I'll shove that volleyball up your ass! Right. And then the kids love that. Yeah. yeah. The kids love it, love it. <laughs> so they give her the last two minutes, they put her in. Yeah. And she. And of course, you're assuming that she's not gonna do well because she's got so much pressure. And she has, we've seen, she has very weak wrists. The whole movie, she just has little sad <laughs> bunny hands dangling. But she summons it, and she tapes her wrists up, and she goes out there. And then something happens in a sports movie. She, 
she, you think she's going to do terribly because she's not good. Right. And she accidentally does well when she headbutts a ball back over <gasps> and lands and gets the last point. And everybody's shocked that they've upset, like, this is a the well-oiled uh, Slovakian team or something right. that's never lost a match. And they've won. And then uh, she doesn't even know this. Her parents are there watching. Oh. And then all of a sudden, Vigo Mortensen does this, and we're all going to do this because we should. And then her dad says, you can call me coach anytime. And they hug. And then he says, you know what? You can also call me dad. Oh. <laughs> I like that. And that time it really hits home, the sentimentality. Because yes. the first time it felt aggressive, but this time it's just sweet. Uh, and then Melissa McCarthy comes down, and she kind of gives Beagle Morgenson, Mortensen the eye. And he says to her, Let's let bygones be bygones. <laughs> and she said, Melissa says, this young girl, is it possible that you and I, and he says, I don't want to talk about it. Nice. Let's go home. Oh. I call this the final score. Nice. Oh, So wow. that's Molly Ball. <laughs> yeah. The, uh... The tagline on the poster is all for one and one for ball. Because <laughs> that's the kind of thing they would write. Yeah, it's good. And then Molly Ball 2, Molly Ball in Space. <laughs> Guys, uh, thank you all for coming. And a giant hand for Mr. Fred Yay! Willard. Thank you so much. You check us out, uh, popmyculturepodcast.com. We're on Nerdist, uh, at PMC Podcast online. Thank you guys. Have a great Thanks, afternoon. Guys. Thanks for coming. Subscribe to the Pop My Culture Podcast on iTunes. Check us out online at popmyculturepodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at PMC Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>